Uh, would you stand with me as we read together, if you don't mind, out of respect to God's word? First Peter 2, 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from earthly, fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak of you against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore submit yourselves in every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are broken, beaten for your faults, that you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair and wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and he, his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against, against those who do evil. That's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Jesus Christ is seen in our submission. Part 15, probably. 
Jesus Christ is seen in our submission. The witness and testimony of our Lord is here, and this is Peter's concern. Peter's concern is that God's people who claim to have been changed by him would surrender in greater measure to him so that the witness and testimony of our Lord would be seen through us. My proudest moments as a father. My proudest moments as a father. It's when somebody comes up to me and says, you know what, I see a little bit of your son in you. That's my proudest moment as a father. I mean, I think about that and I go, you know what, man, I hope he doesn't grow up to look like me. And oftentimes not to act like me. But don't you just well up with a sense of gratitude and joy that somebody would mark that out and say, you know what? I see a little bit of you in your son. I remember we were traveling. We were carried an evangelist to lunch one time after we had uh, he had shared at Wildwood where we were before. And we went to go carry him out to lunch. And he turned around to me and he said, uh, and we had Catherine with us. And uh, he turned around to me and he said, well, brother, she looks just like you. And I'll never forget that. I just, I felt like, man. Uh, order dessert uh, because it just made me so happy. And you know what? This is what the Lord, this is what the Lord's design is, is to look at his children and not see his children trying to act like Jesus, but see in his children that which only he is beloved and proud of, and that's his son. And so the greater measure, it's not like we're becoming conformed to the image of Christ in order to get God to love us more. You can't do that. He can't love you anymore. He loves you infinitely. But the manifestation of that love is when we are grown in conformity to the image of his dear son. And Peter maps it out for us right here in Scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And you remember the outline that we've put on top of this, that we've lifted from the text, is that first we celebrate our what? All starts with P. Our position in Christ. Here we are, brand new people. The, the, the one who has chosen us before the foundation of the world, the one who has made us a holy nation of priests and, and part of his own people, and then from that evokes what? Praise. Praise flows from that. What else could it be? Contention? Anger? Confusion or complaint? I don't know of anything except heralding his praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not the people of God, but now are people of God. And once you have not attained mercy, they have now attained mercy. Then the next P is what? Do you remember? Posture. Posture of what? Surrender. Surrender to say, you know what? Because all of that's true, now, if you'll let that set down in your heart, because that's true, he calls us to a greater level of surrender in verse 11. He calls us beloved. I beg you, I urge you, I, can, I, I uh, uh, encourage you. Abstain from fleshly lust. Submit to authority. Let Jesus have his way with you. Now we talked about the fact that then the rest of the glue that holds the text together in the end of the book is submission to authority. And we see it there in verse 13 in government authority. Then we see it in verse 18 for servants being submissive to their masters. And then we see the next P, which is what? Pattern. Pattern. And that word, Jesus being an example, is like when you were a little child and we talked about this time and again. And you would take uh, something that somebody could draw well that had, had drawn something, because I can't draw well, and, they, and they've drawn out a picture. And you take that and you put it on top of a blank sheet of paper and you press down hard and you outline that beautiful picture. And then you take it off and then you trace that because there are lines in there that you've made by pressing hard. When you fly into the middle of the storm, that's God pressing hard. 
on the template of your life so that he can just draw a portrait of his dear son. That's why the eagle flies into the storm rather than away from it. Because the one who orchestrated the storm and put you in it is none other than Jesus Christ. And he has an objective. The storm seems tyrannical. The storm seems harsh. The storm seems unfair until you see the transcendent purpose. And when you see the transcendent purpose, you don't lament the storm. You don't resent the storm. You praise him for it. You praise him for it. Bring the rain. It's not like we want the storm, but we want the Jesus who is found in it. We want the one who is conforming us into the image of his son. And who is the pattern? But none other than Jesus Christ himself. Who stretched the limits of submission further than anybody else could or ever will? God himself, the highest you can go, the limitless high, became in the likeness of sinful flesh as low as you can go. And he gave, he gave, he came, he is as high as you can go and became as low as you can go so he can elevate us to who he is. Hallelujah to his name. This is a pattern. And the Lord said, you've been called to this. This is my design. I'm not doing this arbitrarily or off the cuff or ad hoc. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. And that's to conform you into the image of a man. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so the posture the, the, is surrender. The pattern is Jesus. And who is, what's the next P? Do you remember? Power. Thank you, Lucas. Power. The power. He doesn't leave us to our own deserts. He doesn't say, okay, go out there and do the best you can. He doesn't say, try to act like me. What he says is, is I'm going to put you in positions where you're stripped of every reason for trusting yourself so that you're left with no other cause or no other recourse except to trust me. It has been well said, and it is true, that when you get to the point where Jesus Christ, you realize, is all you have, that's when you'll realize that he's all you need. That's absolutely true. And God orchestrates situations for such as that. Then he calls us to what he's trying to do through all of us, and that is to bring us to one. How can a church full of people be brought to one if we're in rebellion to the authority that God's put in our lives? We can't. And he says we be brought to one and he gives us the government authority issue. Then he gives us employee to employer, the testimony that's wielded there. And then he talks about husband and wife dynamics. How can we become one in the professing church if we're not in unity individually in our families and homes? You can't do it. You can't do it. We'll never get to the level that God wants us to get to. So then he talks about husbands and wives and those dynamics, and now he turns his attention. In verse um, 8, you'll have to forgive me, I'm sorry. I got a sore in my mouth, and I, that's more detail than you need to know, but I apologize for having to bat that around a little bit. Sorry. In verse 8, he comes here, and he's concerning himself with unity in the church. Here's where his concern is. He said this. He said, look here. Finally, here's the deal. All of you, be of one mind. Be of one mind. How in the world can all of us who come from different backgrounds, different denominational traditions, receive Christ, for those of us who are saved, at different levels of life? Maybe you received Jesus when you were young. Maybe when you were older. Maybe you came from a Christian background. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you came from uh, uh, some other denominational background or some kind of heretical background where 
the Bible was taught are, are, are not taught correctly. And, 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 and all of these things, and we come from different backgrounds, different experiences, different this, different that, different the other. But yet, all of us who are different can come together with one mind because we all have the mind of Christ. That's our only hope for being united. You know, if your mind is renewed, then your mind is the control tower of the rest of you. And your mind is what gets to decide. It's, 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 Brother Glenn, it's like, the, it's like the control tower of an airport. And you decide what kind of thoughts get to land on your runway. And when they ask for permission to land, you have an option. You can either say, permission granted, or you can take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And the ones who shouldn't land there, you say, permission denied, and take it to the cross of Calvary and crucify it. You get to decide that. You had no option when you were not a Christian to decide that. You had no option. That should renew our compassion for people who are not saved. Because they have no option except to let those lands, those uh, line, those uh, those uh, flights land. But you and I have an option. We don't have to receive that. Now let me tell you something right now. Let's bring it home where we are right now. You have no hope as a believer, to walk in the fellowship and the Spirit-filled life and the power and the grace that is yours for the believing if you're not habitually taking these truths and letting them seep into you through the Word of God. You cannot do it, dear ones. You cannot do it. This should supplement our diet spiritually. But if we're not in the Word day in and day out, not going to God for direction. Not going to God to find out how you are to manage your finances. Not going to God to find out what the next move is for your family. Not going to God to find out what your career choice should be. Not going to God for any other reason except for an act of worship. I want to know you. Because when you get to know Him, all the rest of stuff will come. It's idolatry to do it any other way. To reduce God to some cosmic will giver means that you will take His will and abuse it. You first of all won't be able to understand it. If you catch wind of it by His grace, you will not walk in the power that would be yours otherwise. We go to succor from His breast. Oh Lord, show me who you are. Let me commune with you. So we could be one, we could be like-minded. We could be like-minded. That's from two Greek words which mean to think the same or to be like-minded. That's exactly what that means. To think the same or to be like-minded. Didn't he say that to us in Philippians chapter 2? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a transcendent mind. It's a mind that doesn't focus on the nasty now and now. It lives in the nasty now and now. But it's empowered by the truths it finds in the sweet by and by. One, one friend who influenced me early on in life gave me a Bible. And he wrote in the front of the Bible something I've never forgotten. It was 1978 when he gave me the Bible. And for me to remember the last 15 minutes is a miracle. But I know for me to remember something from 1978, it's the Lord. And he said this, Dear Lindsay, there'll be rough days ahead. And some days you'll doubt you're right. But never doubt in the darkness truths that you've learned in the light. We can be like-minded. We can have a like-mindedness. And here it is. 
And that like-mindedness will make us have compassion for one another. It means we'll be sympathetic. It means, that word means, that we share the same feeling about something. That we get into your Gethsemane. You cannot effectively, the husband and wife dynamic, we teased that out last week, you cannot effectively intercede for somebody else unless you can sympathize in some measure into what they're going through. I didn't say you can't intercede. You can't effectively intercede. And can I say this parenthetically? And I don't mean it parenthetically, but I didn't plan this. But is, is whatever it is that God's convicted you of that's sin in your life, is it worth it that when it comes a time like this we're praying for Al Oglesby and he's taken so ill that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? Is it worth it? Don't you think we're to realize you know what? There's too much at stake here for me to toy around with my life and the opportunities God's given me. Let's don't live puny lives. Let's don't, let's don't have resentment and let it breed toward one another and put evil suspicion over each other's heads. Let's drop all of that. When those thoughts come, you have the control tower. Your mind is the control tower. And the thought says, permission to land? Or, you know, whatever. Jim, Glenn can get up and give us the jargon. Permission to land? You listen to it? Just so that you can measure it by the truth. And you measure it by the truth. If it doesn't, if it doesn't line up with the truth, you go. Permission denied. Permission denied. Because you know what? A lot of the thoughts you're embracing and they're taking root in your life. Not only are they landing. But the devil has built a terminal. And made a hub somewhere. And he's got a stronghold right there. And I want you to know something. Through the word of the living God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that stronghold needs to be broken up. And we need to go before the Lord and confess to him that we've believed a lie. Because you act out what you believe. And what you believe has consequences. Every time. Oh, dear ones, have the same mind. How are we going to get together unless we come to the same God? who wrote the same book and are faithful to let the eternal truths sift in. And if they don't line up with what I think, or they don't line up with my plans, or it doesn't line up with my passions, the one that gets to win is God and His revealed Word. We've said it time and again here, that when your feelings do not line up with the truth, oh dear one, go with the truth. But how are you going to go with the truth unless you know the truth? The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How much needless bondage are we in? That's probably the greatest contortion that God must experience over His people because He loves you so much is the, to see what is the potential and what's reality and how easy that reality and potential could meet if it weren't for lies being fueled by the devil. But you know the devil can't help but lie. The Bible says when he speaks a lie, it's his native language. That's the only thing he can say. Every time the devil lies, uh, every time the devil speaks, it's a lie. Be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Let's be sympathetic with one another. Did you know we're not all at all, we're not all at the same place in our Christian walk? And I don't, I don't, I, what I'm saying is, I don't, I'm, man, I asked the Lord to forgive me for this week. I said, God, as long as I've known you, 
I, I, I ought to be further along than I am now. Please forgive me. I'm not making an assumption about any of us. I'm just saying this. We're at different places in our spiritual life. And you don't know what constitutes the past of those who are among us right now. You don't know. You don't know what they wake up and deal with every day. And we should be compassionate for one another and love as brothers. Look at it. Be of one mind. What's that one mind? That Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but was willing to come down here, become the slave of God, submit to God for the sake of the gospel so he could rescue rebel you. Bless his holy name for doing that. Amen. And rebel me. He says, have compassion with one another. Be sympathetic. Share the same feelings about it. Love as brothers. That's the affection. This is what that word means. It means the affection of people who are closely related. Do you know that you have biblical permission to call God Daddy? Abba? Father? Abba? Father? Daddy, Daddy, not my will, but thine be done. But is there another way? Could you look and just see the all-knowing Father that I serve? I've slapped on human flesh. I'm, in my flesh, I'm asking you, could you examine it just one more time and see if there's another way? No. But does it impugn the character and nature of our God? Absolutely not. It showed it. It showed it. He became sin so that you and I could one day call him Daddy. We present a terrible testimony to this world in the body of Christ. I'm afraid. Because we don't get along and we don't love one another. People come to church, you know what they expect? They expect agape. And they wonder why what they see is different than what they expect. They can't explain agape, but they just know it when they see it also know it when they don't. I also know it when they don't. You can't give out the love of God until you've received it. When you receive it and it fills you to overflowing, you won't view it to be a risk to love somebody else. Otherwise, it's a risk. Hey, it may not be returned. I'm sticking my neck out here. You know? Uh oh And so over time, you get burnt enough times and you go, you know what? I ain't doing that no more. I'm just going to kind of be my, I'll be under myself. I'll be among you. I'm not going to leave the church. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to immerse myself in something. And whatever you immerse yourself in could be a good thing. But a good thing is idolatry if Jesus is not the center of your life. You can make idolatry out of almost anything that you want to. And it sounds like a good thing. You can make an idolatry out of making a living for your family. You can make an idolatry out of education. You can make an idolatry out of virtually anything. You can make an idolatry out of hopes, dreams for another. You can make it all of that. If this time with the Lord, if this affection and mercy that's lifted through our communion with Him does not produce an appetite to know Him, then it's all for naught and it's for the wrong reason. It is no longer worship then. It's manipulation. It's trying to make God who you want Him to be and He does not do that. He became a man not to make God more like us. He became a man to give us the potential to know Him. It says, be a tender-hearted. 
Oh, I think of this morning. You know, I think of this morning. And God here took Ryan and Chad and put them among us. And they're hurting young men. You can see it all over their faces. The tenderness. I'm so grateful to see it. The, the, that you're affected by the pain of others and you feel it deeply. That's what that means. Our Lord was just like this. See, I, I circled our Lord, our Lord, our Lord all through my notes here. Because you see it manifest in His life. He goes over and looks over Jerusalem when He's going there for the last time. And He looks and says, and He weeps, the Bible says. And He looks over and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've wanted to take you. Like a hen gathers her chicks under the wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. And you are going to face judgment. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. And you look at that and go, you know what? All of that was about rescuing you and I. All of that was about opening up the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. All of that was about using a chosen people to send a specific, known, chosen Savior to stick Him on the cross of Calvary and redeem you and I. He was, that's why it says in the Bible that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He was a, he was a, there was a paradox about him, just like there should be with us. We're joyful this morning because the tomb is empty, but we're grieving because Al is sick. But at the same time, our grief is different than what it would otherwise be because it's predicated upon the hope of the empty tomb. And where do we get those hopes from? His word. By his word, my hope is secure. Don't be like Thomas and say, I've got to stick my hand in his side. No! Take him for at his word. Take him at his word. Believe it. Keep on feeding yourself with it and pretty soon you'll come to believe it. But whatever you feed yourself with is what you become. Garbage in, garbage out. Put it in. When you're squeezed, if you've been putting in the Word of God, out comes the Word of God. If you squeeze the orange, out comes orange juice. If you squeeze a lemon, out comes lemon juice. If you squeeze a spirit-filled Christian, out comes Rama, the Word of the living God. But it won't come out if you haven't been pushing it in. In John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest book in, verse in the Bible, I haven't memorized. Jesus wept. I'm convinced the reason he wept, because he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I don't think he was weeping because of Lazarus' death. I do not believe that for a minute. I believe he was weeping because of the disbelief that was around him. I believe that's why he was weeping. I'm standing right here. What was his response to the sister? Lord, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. And he said, I am the resurrection. You're looking at resurrection. I don't give resurrection. That's who I am. Oh, I'm so proud of him. I could run around the building. Isn't Jesus Christ awesome? I'm telling you right now, praise his wonderful name. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take it upon me. Saddle it with me. Let me have it. Quit trying to shoulder it. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Needs to be humble in spirit. Some of your translations might say humble. The word humble. I say this to you. Humility is an exclusively Christian virtue. Nobody can have humility except the Christian. And nobody should manifest it more than the Christian. I'm thinking of the, of the line, when I survey the wondrous cross. 
and you take a look and stop and look at the cross and the bludgeoned head of our Savior and His blood and the thorns and, the, and beat beyond recognition, you do not stand there and hold on to your pride. It pours, as the songwriter said, that when I survey it, it pours what? Content on all my pride. What is it when we hold ill against somebody else and we're not tenderhearted toward them but pride? What is that but pride? Is there another way to justify it? Is there another way to characterize it? We can. We try. We do. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what it all. Oh, you don't know. You don't know the history. Okay. Look at the cross. Just take a, just take a meeting. Don't take a glance at it. Don't go like that. That's what we do as Christians. We look at it like that and turn away. We need to look at it and muse and meditate and immerse ourselves in it. Then all that stuff is jettisoned and we're free. So we can either hold on to it and be in bondage or we can let go and be free. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But rather blessing. On the left side, you've got evil, reviling, parentheses, insult. Evil, reviling, insults. And on the other side, you've got blessing. And every time that somebody treats you evil, reviles against you, and insults you, your response every time in mine as a Christian is blessing. I can't do that. Bingo! You can't! You can't. But the Jesus inside you will do it every time if you're letting him. What do you want to do? I'm so grateful for that word this morning. You want to be like the turkey who doesn't even get in the sky? Or the eagle that flies right into the storm? Put me right into it because it's there I'll thrive. Throw me in the briar patch because I was raised there. Christian faith was forged in the briar patch. Christian faith was forged on the cross of Calvary. We don't worship and bow down to a Savior who came down here and sat on the throne the first time. We worship and bow down to a Savior who was nailed to a cross. Amen? We don't be able to finish this morning. To this you were called. Look at this. I, I, to this you were called. You were called to this. Call speaks of specificity. Call speaks of intent. Call speaks of the fact that God ordains something. Call speaks of sovereignty. Call speaks of plans. Call speaks of intent. Call speaks of a purpose. This is what you're called to. What is it that you're called to? What is it you're called to? So God can just go up in heaven and see how hard He can make it on you? Is that what you're called to? No, let me tell you what you're called to. Look at Romans 8, 28. Look at 8, 28. Arguably, Romans chapter 8 might be one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And I want you to know something. Look right here. Look at 8, 28. We've got 8, 28 memorized. Most of us do. And good. That's good. It's good to memorize it. But we need to look at 29 and 30 as well. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. What is that purpose? For those He foreknew, He knew you before the foundation of the world. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Every bit of the dynamics 
the person in your life that's causing you the biggest amount of trouble, the biggest amount of angst in your life, and you find it the hardest to love oftentimes, it's what God's trying to do is bring his work in your life. And what you want to do is escape. You don't want to fly into that storm. Or if you're in the middle of it, you're looking for an exit. Where's the exit ramp? By so doing that, you're foregoing what God wants to do to conform you to the image of your son. You're called to this. You're called to this. God wants to look at our lives. Positionally, this is always true. But God wants to look at our lives practically and say, you know what? There goes Brian Fox. I see my son in him. I respect and love Brian. But nobody, none of us, none of his neighbors need to see Brian. You sure do need to see that Jesus who lives within you. The same is true as for me and you. Amen. These dynamics, be tender hearted, be like minded. How are we going to get like minded unless we get on the same page? And this is the page. Hey, that's literally. You're on the same page. This is the arbiter right here. That does it. That settles it. You know, disciples and apostles and all them, it's like Jesus spoke. Okay, that's it. Over. My grandfather used to say, Saying that float around in Christendom, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. My grandfather said the Bible says it, and that settles it whether you believe it or not. 